Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. Parkinson's Recovery is dedicated to provide support, resources, and information to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and their family members. Individuals who are interested in identifying natural options that will help them find some relief from symptoms, if not reverse them altogether. A heads up, many of you do refer to me as Dr. Rogers, and I am a doctor. I'm a Ph.D. researcher, have been a faculty member at uh, universities for a number of years. And yet I want you to know here at the outset I'm not a medical doctor, so anything I might suggest that you need to pursue would be important, of course, to check out any recommendation that you might hear from me with your medical doctor, who would be the licensed authority and the reliable source uh, of information. What we'll do today is to read a number of questions that have been submitted by listeners, and I'm going to provide you with a thoughtful response. I've read each one. I've done some additional research, so I've got some additional information to provide for each question. Some of them are short and sweet, and some of them are a bit long. It may be I won't get through all the questions. If so, I'm going to just schedule a program tomorrow so we can be sure to make a pass through each question that has been submitted by those of you who are connecting in today. First set of questions from David. Some Parkinson's patients develop eczema. Is this common? Answer, no. And yet, yes, Parkinson's patients can have eczema. They can have lots of growths on their toes or on their fingers or some rashes on their body. If you look at the symptoms that have been identified with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, I think you'll notice that the list of symptoms is pretty much covering every possible symptom a person can actually experience. Now, one of the big heads up that I'd like to suggest that you attend to, David, is if it's eczema, the question really to ask is, what's the cause of that rash? Now, many people have the suspicion that it may be an allergic reaction to something that you're being exposed to, and that's very possible. If eczema is longstanding, if it's lasting quite a while, there are several possibilities that need to be explored. That is, what is the cause of that? One of the causes is that you're putting something into your body that your body is rebelling against and your body is giving you a signal that you need to stop putting that into your body. A second, and I would suspect even larger suspicion is, the cause can very well be an infection. So if that's the case, your body is telling you, look, the importance here is to realize that it's just not a rash on your body that's at issue. It's that you've got some raging infections that need to be healed inside your body. Now, there's a big overview that I want everybody to hear. And it's something I actually didn't realize myself until several years ago because I've had rashes myself. Whenever I before noticed that I had a rash, whether it was pretty extensive or minor, 
I would think, oh, oh, that's something on my skin, and so I've got to address it. Uh, it's just an issue that's surfacing here on my skin. However, what I discovered is if there's something showing on your skin, you can bet your dollar on, if you're a U.S. citizen, <laughs> on the possibility that it means there's a lot going on inside your body. So if you've got bumps, abrasions, some dark spots, it means that they are signals that there are some organs in your system that are compromised. Take eczema seriously. Take fungal infections seriously. I've had interviews with individuals, I've uh, achieved hundreds if not thousands over the last uh, 12 years, and people will sometimes ask me, so, you know, I've had this problem for a number of years. It seemed to come on when my Parkinson's symptoms emerged. I've got this awful fungal infection on my toes, and I can't seem to get rid of it. But I know that doesn't have anything to do with Parkinson's. And I have to say, wait a minute, there's a good chance that's a confounding factor. So it means that you've probably got a fungal infection throughout your body. It's just showing up on your toes. So if you've got rashes, if you've got spots on your body, it means something else is going on. Take that as an, an incentive to investigate further. David goes on to ask, if a Parkinson's patient is taking carbidopa, levodopa, would LDN, which stands for low-dose naltraxone, replace the need for this medication, carbidopa, levodopa? The answer is no. They're really very different in terms of what they're designed to do. The carbidopa levodopa, of course, is, is used to basically facilitate the body's ability to produce dopamine. LDN has a very different function. The purpose of low-dose naltraxone is to literally trick the body's immune system into becoming stronger and more vibrant. So it's low-dose. And many people have the idea, well, there's not much that I'm actually taking of this, so I can't do much harm. I have interviewed neurologists, and when I ask them, well, what about LDN? Now, if they know about LDN, uh, and some of them have said, yeah, yeah, I, don't, I will not prescribe LDN for my Parkinson's patients. And the question is, well, why not? Because some doctors have found it seems to help people to a certain extent. The answer is, well, it's got a, it, it infringes on the integrity of the liver. In other words, it creates some toxic residue in the liver. Now, of course, almost all prescription medications and even supplements will cause a, a toxic residue in the liver. And yet some neurologists really refuse to prescribe LDN for their patients for this and other reasons. Another reason why some neurologists are not interested is it's really not on their approved list of medications that they're authorized to prescribe. So when they move outside of that list, uh, there's obviously a little bit of risk and concern that they may be outstepping the bounds of their authority and their, their legal rights to prescribe medications. So of the many, many people that I've heard back from who've talked with their neurologist, 
I would predict about a third, maybe 30% only, are willing to prescribe LDN, and probably about 70%, if they've heard about it, will say, no, no, um, that's not something that I would recommend. So what kind of doctor prescribes LDN? Many people uh, I know will go to their family practitioner or their intern, and they will say, uh, listen, um, here's some evidence that I've, I've discovered about what might uh, provide some relief for my Parkinson's. Would you be willing to prescribe it? And some family doctors, uh, some internal medicine uh, doctors will be willing to prescribe it. Some naturopaths, if they're legally able to prescribe it, will also do the same. So it's not an easy kind of a journey for people who want to pursue this. Now, the next question that David asked is, how close to normal does it, that is taking LDN, restore the functions of the patient? Well, everyone is different, David, and I wish I could say that there's one clear response to that. I've aired several programs with Lexi, who is really the champion of LDN. I think a reason why many people know about it is because of Lexi. She appeared on my show about six or seven years ago, and the word is spread rapidly that uh, she really found profound relief from LDN. Now, she is the first to say it took several years to be able to see a significant reduction in her symptoms, although there was some early benefit from being able to sleep for longer periods of time. But Lexi's the first will say, when she's under a stressful situation, uh, she will resort to taking some carbidopa, levodopa, to be able to increase her dopamine. But keep in mind, what LDN does, it's enhancing the immune system, and it's going to likely be the most successful therapy for individuals who have infections bacterial infections, strep, staph, appendicitis, tonsillitis, microchondria, uh, all sorts of different awful infections. And so I would like to say, I don't mean to say microchondria, that's the little thing, energy source of the cell, uh, but there are a lot of other very serious infections that can cause uh, the symptoms of Parkinson's, including uh, the Lyme disease that many of you are well aware of. The symptoms of Lyme mimic the symptoms of Parkinson's. Everyone then does respond differently. Now, Lexi happened to have a wonderful response, and others have also had a similar welcome response. Not that all the symptoms resolved, but there was a marked improvement in symptoms. Other people have pursued that, and they've been very disappointed. So the reason I'm suggesting that you begin to ask the question, well, what's the cause of your symptoms, is because if, in fact, infections are an issue, then chances are LDN really will be a therapy you might want to talk with your doctor about. If your doctor doesn't know really anything about for the use of LDN or, again, low-dose naltrexone as a treatment for Parkinson's symptoms, uh, you can refer them to a website that recounts the science of using LDN. That website is L D in science, S-C-I-E-N-C-E dot org, O-R-G. Next question comes from Amelia. 
I was diagnosed with Parkinson's about five years ago. I probably had it for some time before. Last year, I was told that I have Parkinson's-related dementia, and I am now on patches. I feel giddy most of the day and have a sucking-like feeling in the stomach. In the evening, my blood pressure goes up. All these things make me very anxious. And, of course, anxiety is a precursor to exacerbating the symptoms. I cannot stand sunlight, and my eyes are also affected. So let me go back to the issue of dementia. So anemia what my research reveals is if you are experiencing dementia, which means some memory difficulties, some reasoning, logical reasoning kind of a difficulty, the issue needs to be sourced at the digestive system. So that's where the problem resides. And, of course, you can take lots of medications to see if that might address it, but I really don't know of any medications for dementia that really make any difference. I do know that if you really begin to focus on enhancing the integrity of your entire digestive system, that dementia will suddenly become less and less and less of a problem until it is no problem whatsoever. I would also suggest, in terms of dementia, that as an experiment, you stop eating gluten, anything that has gluten in it. Stop eating that. Eat fresh, organic food. Get some really healthy probiotics, uh, the probiotics that I personally use and have actually purchased in large quantity for people with Parkinson's is the Dr. O'Hara's probiotics. They're amazing. I take those every single day, and I am thankful to know about that. Now, you also mentioned your blood pressure goes up in the evening. So another issue in terms of the potential cause for that could be a parathyroid malfunction. The parathyroid is a set of glands right on top of the thyroid gland that's kind of down in the top of the chest. And this is responsible for distributing calcium throughout the body. It may be that instead of the calcium going to the bones where it's supposed to be distributed, the parathyroid is a bit confused and is actually sending that in places that it really does not belong. So it could be that your arteries are being somewhat cluttered up by too much calcium, which means that the body is, the heart is having to work much harder during the evening because your body is in a prone position to be able to send that blood through your system. So in other words, what's the cause of that? And that's going to be the theme of my response to many of those questions. To say your blood pressure goes up, okay, that's a clue, something is out of balance, and I'm just speculating, something that you can talk with your doctor further about is the source of that problem, the cause, is potentially a malfunction in your parathyroid gland. Now, Anila also says that they're on Matapar five times a day and a, and a prescription drug called Excetan, E-X-E-T-O-N. So when I saw that you have a sucking-like feeling in your stomach, I just went and, and typed in the name of this drug, Excetan, and I also said side effects. And what comes up are a number of websites that list the side effects of this particular drug. And one of the side effects is severe stomach 
pain, nausea, and vomiting. So I would just suggest that you might want to explore further with your doctor whether or not that particular medication is in your best and highest good. It may be that that's the source of the sucking-like feeling in your stomach. Now, you also ask the question, how can I be somewhat normal and independent? And for that question, Anila, I just want to say um, you're using the qualifier somewhat normal. That's a, what we call a limiting thought. So you're limiting the expectation of the healing that you want to see unfold. I would have to say that most people are unaware of the huge impact that our thinking and our thoughts and our consciousness have on the outcomes that we actually see and experience in our life. When I started doing research on Parkinson's 12, 13 years ago, one of the first realities that uh, occurred to me was a big issue turns out to be the thinking that underlies a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. That's why I wrote the little book, Five Steps to Recovery. And that's all about thoughts and how we can transform thoughts so that, in fact, our thinking is then resonant with our true and genuine expectation to get well, to reverse whatever symptoms we are actually experiencing. When you qualify your expectations, in other words, here, the expectation is not to return to a full state and health and wellness, but rather, and you don't really want to just be normal, you want to be somewhat normal, in other words, subnormal. That's what will happen if that's what you think. That's what you will manifest. And so I would just challenge your own language and assert the full reality of what you want to see unfold. In other words, challenge your own thinking. We have, all of us, uh, every day approximately, hold on to your seats, 60,000 thoughts that circle around our heads as a hamster circles around a hamster wheel over and over and over again, quick little bites of thoughts. Now, of those 60,000 thoughts, about 80% of those 60,000 thoughts, about 48,000 of those thoughts, are the same thoughts. We rattle them over and over and over and over again, and by Jove, that's what winds up making a huge impact on our ability to manifest our life's dreams. So thoughts are really where it's at. And it's hard to get out of the valley of the deep, dark feeling of what it means to have a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. All of you know this, and so I'm just saying what is totally familiar to you. You do a little search on the Internet and perhaps uh, the search is, well, what is Parkinson's disease? You're going to see all sorts of limiting words that are used to describe Parkinson's. Words like degenerative. What a horrible word that traumatizes people when they see it. So if you accept that label, if you say to yourself, well, uh, gosh, looks like this is on a really important website and and it looks like the person who's saying it has a white coat on it must be true. It must be that this is a degenerative condition. So, okay, I'll buy into that. This is the deal that I've been dealt in my life, and so I guess it's downhill from now. If you accept that, 
that is what will happen. The die is cast. And so what I'm suggesting is watch the language that you find you are rattling around your head over and over. And when you hear these limiting thoughts and these limiting words, scratch them out and refine your thinking so that you are headed toward a life that is full and vibrant and a life that is the one that you want to lead for yourself. Not a limiting life, but a life that is full of vibrancy. Uh, next comment comes from Peter. It's not really a question. It's just a comment. And he basically is uh, commenting on the value that Reiki has given uh, to his wife and uh, to others. It's an energy medicine, if you haven't heard about it. One of the interviewees on my Parkinson's Recovery radio show was Carl Robb on March the 20th. 2012, and Carl has Parkinson's uh, symptoms, and not only does he receive Reiki, but both he and his wife actually practice Reiki on others, especially those who have Parkinson's symptoms. So Reiki is a fascinating uh, kind of uh, therapy that is clearly helping Rob and others uh, to a significant extent. Now, if you decide you want to get some Reiki therapy, be sure to check on the qualifications of the therapist. There are people that can attend a weekend uh, training seminar for a couple of hundred dollars, and then they come out, especially massage therapists, and they'll say, well, I do Reiki. Uh, so you want somebody that's really uh, done some serious training and some work on clearing out their own issues uh, to be able to provide that particular therapy to you. Next question comes from Delroy. Hi, Robert. I really appreciate your interesting mail-outs about recovery. You're welcome, Delroy. I'm, I'm glad you are finding them to be of value. After some surgery 18 months ago, I noticed slower movement, weakness in my entire body, and tremor in my right hand and left foot. I mentioned this to my general practitioner, who informed me it was from surgery. In November, I met up with someone who had been in remission for 15 years. Now, Delroy, I want to go back and just suggest that when I read your report, first of all, I flagged the fact that you were in surgery recently, just a year and a half ago. Surgery is a significant trauma. And so it would be important to acknowledge that. Now, you probably are physically pretty much recovered from that and want to forget about that experience, but it really does help to acknowledge the traumatic impact that surgery has on our being and to set the intention to clear out all of the trauma that has been embedded at the cellular level. Now, another huge clue about the issue that you were experiencing, especially after your, uh, your surgery, is you say you had a tremor in your right hand and left foot. The origins of these symptoms are a huge clue about what the actual source or the cause of your symptoms actually might be. 
So I looked in my meridian chart. There are meridians for all the systems in the body, and I looked page after page after page. And so what I was looking for is, okay, what's uh, the meridian that hits into the right hand and also the meridian that hits into the left foot? And what I discovered, Delroy, is the right hand is what we call the triple warmer meridian. The left foot is the kidneys. Now, what that means to me is the kidneys basically are an organ system when compromised are really coupled with the issue of fear. When people are in fear, their kidneys are compromised. And when we say the triple warmer, that's an issue with basically overall continuing anxiety. And so what it looks like to me is Trauma, your surgeon is exactly right. Chances are it was the, from the surgery. And we're talking about significant trauma that needs to be addressed. There are many, many different therapies that can assist and facilitate that healing in the Jumpstart to Recovery course, both on the online course and, of course, in the, the actual live class sessions that we're starting here for the second time this year in August we really do focus on a lot of the many wonderful, marvelous therapies that you can pursue that will help you release the trauma. And many of us who are mental used to think, or maybe you think now, that if we just bury the trauma, if we just stick it down inside, then it'll go to sleep and it won't bother us anymore. But when we stuff it, the fact is, that the effects of stuffing trauma wind up being much worse than releasing trauma. So it's important to recognize the impact of the trauma and set the intention to let it out, let it go, to release it, to remove, detach, eject, and shield all of that trauma that has been embedded in your body, probably not just from the surgery but from other circumstances that occurred earlier in your life. Now, the person who had been remission, as Delroy continues, had spoken to John Coleman. Those of you who don't know John, he's this marvelous naturopath in Australia who now helps other people with Parkinson's symptoms. John had a very serious set of Parkinson's symptoms in the mid-'90s, and to my knowledge, he's the first person who basically figured out what was necessary to reverse all of those symptoms, and he's symptom-free today. So John is, is quite a mentor to many people. And so apparently John uh, recommended that they cut back on Parkinson's medications. That was just to this one particular person. So they're also, according to Delroy, he says, I'm also uh, commencing to take the uh, aqua hydration formula daily. There's an AM bottle and there's a PM bottle, in other words, a morning and an evening, evening bottle, starting at three drops daily and increasing to eight drops over some months. Now, Delroy, I need to pause here you will not necessarily want to set the intention to increase the number of drops to eight. Your body will respond differently from other people. So if you're starting at three drops, great. Uh, do that for about three or four days and just experience for yourself whether or not you have any of the symptoms of detoxing. That's what hydration does. Hydration winds up facilitating detoxing the heavy metals and the pesticides and the bad stuff that's in our bodies. Now, if you don't have those particular symptoms of detoxing, which are a low-level headache, loss of energy, flu-like symptoms, feel basically crummy, okay, then 
you can increase the drops after, let's say, three or four days to four drops. And you do the same thing. You check it out to see if you're feeling particularly awful. And if you are, you want to reduce back the number of drops. It may be at three drops you are experiencing the effects of detoxing, and that's great. That's what hydration does for the body. You may need to reduce the number of drops from three to two. John Coleman has done a lot of work with aquas, not just for himself but with his clients, and he's discovered that there are a number of people with Parkinson's that are so sensitive, one drop is too much. They have to dilute one drop. And I have to say, Delroy, I've talked to a lot of people who use the aquas. I don't know of really anyone who has Parkinson's symptoms that actually uses as many as eight drops. I think there are a few out there, but I don't, I don't know of many. So my guess is you don't need to increase it all the way up to eight drops, and you don't want to begin to feel lousy every day. So you want the detoxing to occur gradually so that you're not feeling crummy. There's no reason to rush up detoxing. Uh, it puts a, a lot of demands on the body that the body doesn't need. So do it gently rather than aggressively. Next comment here from Delroy. With the advice of a Bowen therapist, I found that treatment was sometimes painful. Now, that is the case uh, that other people have reported to me. Bowen therapists uh, uh, can sort of manipulate the arms and the legs in ways that may be too aggressive for your body. Now, some people with Parkinson's found, find that Bowen therapy is marvelous. It works miracles for them, but others do not. So I would like to suggest that you might want to consider a companion therapy to Bowen therapy, which is cranial sacral therapy. That's much gentler, and it, it, it doesn't move all the arms and legs as aggressively as Bowen therapy does. And the other suggestion that I've got for you, Delroy, is consider the value of unwinding the traumas that you have experienced. So the way that trauma can be addressed and resolved is instead of forcing your body to move in a particular direction like what yoga does, what you want to do is to move the body in the direction of ease, in other words, where there is no resistance. Now, the form of yoga that does that is called yin, Y-I-N, yoga. It's a method of unwinding, and it's great for helping to facilitate the release of trauma. I decided to commence taking the aqua drops in November 2016, have stopped drinking any alcohol completely, although I only drank light beer before. Sometimes a few glasses of wine. I drink as much water as I can, up to two liters a day, tea, and one coffee. Most days I now take four cinnamon daily. The aquas I take twice daily, which is what you should do, one in the morning, one in the evening, and Pilates twice uh, weekly. My Parkinson's symptoms, okay, everybody needs to hear this, are much reduced, but I am sure your advice would be most helpful. And this is very common uh, for people. What you'll notice is when you begin to take some action, and if you're really tracking your symptoms, what you're going to notice is, wow, I'm actually a whole lot better. Now, one of the challenges that most people have is you don't actually realize you are getting better. You're focusing on 
the hurts and the pains and the agony and the challenges, and all of a sudden you've forgotten the fact that four or five symptoms you had last week have been resolved. You don't have those anymore. Now, that's one of the reasons why I developed the symptom tracker available to all of you. Obviously, it doesn't cost a cent. We subsidize that here through Parkinson's Recovery. So you can track your own symptoms, and you can celebrate the fact that you are getting better. A lot of people begin to take the steps that are necessary to be able to heal, and we've just heard a description of some of what one person has been doing. They're getting better, and yet they don't actually realize that. They don't acknowledge the fact that they are so much healthier than they were, let's say, two months ago or three or four months ago. And so the reason it's important to track symptoms is to celebrate the fact you are better and to focus your attention on the healthy aspects of what's happening in your life rather than the disease aspects. Following question comes from Donna. Donna basically says, I was diagnosed two years ago and I'm 75 years old and trying to be positive about this. And notice, Donna, you're using a qualifying word there, trying, and I know that's really reflecting the truth of what's happening, but remember that's a qualifying word that you're using. It's hard to basically be positive. I have no tremors or shaking, but I do have freezing and falling. I would like to have more control over this. Any suggestions? Well, here here they go, Donna. One of the suggestions is you would like to have more control. One of the ways to get more control is to give up control to just allow your body to move in whatever way it needs to move. And that's actually one of the ways that you can release trauma. So you see, control is a big issue when it comes to Parkinson's symptoms, and it is important that you need to feel as though you have control over your life. That's very, very important. And when you're making decisions rather than somebody else, that's a big factor in your ability to see sustained relief from your symptoms. But when you are being forceful in your control, when you're being pushy, it can actually create significant anxiety. Now, in terms of transforming thoughts, uh, I would refer you to the little book I wrote, Five Steps to Recovery, which gives the five steps that are useful based on many, many other people's research as well as my own that really facilitate the ability to have clear thinking and clear thoughts. I wrote a companion book to that called Language of Recovery, and that's very specific. It talks about the words that we use in our everyday language that qualify our true intentions. I have to tell you, I wrote the language of recovery for myself because I thought, I think subconsciously I am limiting who I am and who I can become. And so I found, well, it was helpful to me, and I was thinking, well, it'll be helpful to others as well. So there are two particular companion resources that would be available to you, Five Steps to Recovery, the little book, and then the other book is called Language of uh, Recovery. Now, when it comes to issues of freezing and falling, the next recommendations that I have for you is to spend a little time listening to some interviews on Parkinson's Recovery Radio. And the interviews I want to suggest that you access, they're all uh, on replay and available to access for free. 
Uh, by the way, for all of those of you listening, uh, I pay $3,000 a year for that resource uh, to be available to you, and so please take advantage of it. It's, uh, it's free to you, and it's something that we subsidize here through Parkinson's Recovery. Now, the interviews I want to suggest that you access for balance are, number one, an interview with physical therapist Kevin Lockett. He's a physical therapist. He had two interviews on the radio show, June the 10th, 2010. And there's also an interview with Walter Maddy, who has Parkinson's, a physical therapist, and he talks about what he's done to address issues of balance. That interview was February the 18th, 2015. Now, you need to go into the radio show page, and that's basically accessible through the main website, parkinsonsrecovery.com. And then there are 10 or 11 different pages of show listings on the radio show page. So you'll have to go scroll down to the bottom of the first page and scroll back to find the dates of those shows. There's also an interview with Feldenkrais practitioner Irene Pasternak on December the 8th, 2010. She gives wonderful suggestions for how to maintain better balance and issues with freezing. Another interview (coughs) that I really believe would be helpful to everybody is with Bill Hubert. And Bill is the creator of a therapy called BALAVSX, B-A-L dash the letter A dash V-I-S dash X. Now, that's a strange name for a therapy, but it means balance, and that's partly influenced by auditory. That's what A stands for. V-I-S is for visual, and X is for exercise. Bill has some amazing kind of a little exercises that he has invented that can really facilitate wonderful balance. So there are videos, and there he's done some books. And, of course, uh, listen to the interview with him so you'll get a better idea of what Baladizex really is. And that interview, there was a person with Parkinson's symptoms that talked about using his therapy and getting just wonderful results. So that's a marvelous therapy and a marvelous man who I think has invented something that's helpful to everyone. I would suggest that uh, if you have a, a group of people in your locality, get everybody together, put on some of the videos of Bala VZX, and everybody do it together. You bounce balls, so it's a question of hearing the balls hit on the ground and watching it visually. A lot of people don't realize that balance really has everything to do, not just with muscles, but it has to do with hearing, it has to do with your visual, and, of course, it has to do with your ability to uh, have exercise and strength and, and your ability to be flexible. Now, one of the other suggestions that I've got for you, Donna, is that of the physical therapists that I've interviewed, in order to be able to have excellent balance, you need to have strong legs and a strong back. And when you listen to these interviews, you're going to discover there are ways of being able to strengthen both. In other words, better balance is going to make a big difference. So there are lots of different resources. I've just mentioned uh, actually a small number of those that occurred to me when I read your question. So I'd suggest that you spend some time and over the coming weeks listening to those radio shows and following up on whatever might uh, call out to you. 
Now, over the long run, of course, there's also every week a new posting of a suggestion for how to maintain good balance uh, on the Parkinson's Recovery membership website. So we've got uh, all sorts of wonderful different ideas uh, to consider. There's a, a whole new uh, presentation every week. on That's one of the 12 membership websites, only, only one of the 12. And so, uh, Donna, that's something else you might want to consider if you'd like to have some long-term uh, support and get lots of new ideas of what you can do to be able to see a sustained relief from the challenge of falling and freezing, which can be very serious indeed. Now, the Parkinson's Recovery Membership, for those of you who don't know anything about it, uh, costs the grand sum of $10 a month. <laughs> that's it. And, of course, that's used to uh, uh, pay for the expenses uh, that we incur here through Parkinson's Recovery. So it's a minor expense, but it might be something that would be a resource that you would find would be particularly valuable to you. Now, the next set of questions come from uh, David. We have a number of them, so I'll just uh, file down uh, through them. David says, I realize that not all Parkinson's patients have tremors, but for those that do, what is the actual cause of the tremor? Does anyone know? Well, David, there's not just one cause necessarily. It really depends on the individual. One of the big issues with tremors is that the myelon sheath gets short-circuited. So the myelon sheath is a little uh, fatty substance that surrounds those very juicy and tender neural networks. And it's just like an electrical wire that has a rubber covering around it. When that rubber covering begins to uh, thin out, we know what happens. The, the electricity short, short circuits uh, can create sparks, can uh, uh, break out breakers, all sorts of things happen. So part of the issue is the myelon sheaths uh, begin to thin out. Uh, which causes the tremor to occur. There can also be infections and all sorts of nasty critters that get involved in those neural networks, and that's going to also muck up the pathway. So physically, uh, that's somewhat the issue of technically what happens, but what's the underlying reason for that? I mean, why might the myelon sheath uh, be thinning out? Well, it's possible that in a person's diet they're not getting enough fat, and fat is what the myelon sheath is made out of, but chances are the underlying reasons for tremors are a combination of toxins and trauma and long-term stress in a person's life. Now, what about people who say, well, I've had this tremor and I've done all of these healing techniques uh, that, you know, I found uh, or recommended uh, to help me. I spent a lot of uh, intention and effort, but I still have a tremor. What's going on? Well, the little myelon sheath, if it has been thinned out, actually once you begin to give the body the support that it needs to heal, it will grow approximately one-tenth of an inch every week. So it, it's a slow recovery in terms of, uh, seeing that be repaired. So you have to be patient. If tremor is the issue, it's going to take the body a little time to repair those myelon sheaths. And, of course, that's not the only reason for tremors, but that's one of the primary reasons. Next question, why does carbidopa, levodopa decrease uh, tremors? Well, it's a precursor to making dopamine, and the assumption is that the dopamine levels in a person's body are too low. 
And so it needs to, basically what dopamine does, it's that calming hormone that settles us down. The adrenaline is the opposite. Adrenaline pumps us up. So for many people with symptoms of Parkinson's, they've been on nonstop overdrive for much of their life. They've been drivers. They've been movers and shakers. They're the people that make the world go around. And so the body basically has devoted all of their effort and their energy to producing adrenaline, the pump-up hormones, and there hasn't been much allocation given to producing dopamine. So it's really a balance issue. And, of course, then eventually the body, because it's never making dopamine, it sort of gives up that capability. And, of course, when you begin to give yourself synthetic pumps of dopamine, the body then really does give up that capability, and it depends on an outside ability to uh, to supplement dopamine. Now, another little qualification that I really want to make for everyone is that the assumption that people make who have Parkinson's is, oh, I don't have enough dopamine. Well, oftentimes I want to say from the research evidence I've heard, that's actually not true. In many cases, a person has too much dopamine. The level of dopamine is, is much, much too high. And so it's not a question of giving yourself more. It's a question of asking the question, well, what's the cause of this? So if there is not enough dopamine, if if dopamine is too low, the next interesting question is, well, why is that? Why is the body not making the dopamine that it should be making? And one of the reasons is possibly what I just explained, that the body is spending all of its energy in producing adrenaline. Not enough attention can be devoted to producing dopamine because there's just not enough energy there to make that happen. Next question from, again, David. Do most Parkinson's patients have a compromised substantia nigra region as demonstrated by in various medical tests? Uh, and the answer is no, as it turns out. One of the uh, first research results that I found years and years ago was a little study of autopsies of people with Parkinson's. And, of course, I just assumed, well, they're probably going to find 90% anyway have this compromised substantia nigra. But the result of that little autopsy study of a limited number of patients was only 17% were found to have a compromised substantia nigra. Now, that's what led me to all of a sudden move down a very different path in my research. I realized, oh, wait a minute, okay, so it's not necessarily just a dopamine depletion issue uh, that's at the root cause. And that's, of course, what led me to realize, well, it's all about toxins, it's all about trauma. Since most Parkinson's patients have stiffness of the neck, could that restrict the flow of dopamine into the extremities? Well, it's not just dopamine. It's, it's all of the nutrients that need to be sent through all of the body. And, of course, stiffness of the neck may be that the carotid artery is somewhat blocked. Uh, and I do know that there are some Parkinson's patients, some of them I have had on the radio show, who went to their doctor and Gord Brown is one of these, and he basically said, look, I think um, part of the reason I have symptoms is I have uh, some blockages in my carotid artery. Now, that's the artery that goes up the neck that sends the blood to the brain. And could you please uh, clear out my blocked artery? I think that will make a difference to my symptoms. And so reluctantly, the surgeons did that. They had evidence that the artery was blocked. 
And as it turned out for him, they noticed pretty quickly after he was recovering in the recovery room that his symptoms were, were far less pronounced, it, like it had a very quick and immediate response. So he was right. And I noticed uh, shortly after he did that, I'd say a year, a year and a half, uh, that some of the medical professionals there were recommending to their Parkinson's people if they found that the carotid artery was was restricted uh, to go ahead and, and basically they go in there and rotor-rooter that out so that the blood can flow up uh, to the brain more effectively. Next question, when Dr. Parkinson's patients took an extended carriage ride, now Dr. Parkinson's was... Uh, the person who initially identified the symptoms of Parkinson's back in the early uh, 1800s, and that's what the condition is named after. He didn't name it, uh, but that's the doctor whose name was used to uh, basically label the set of uh, symptoms that are experienced. So when his patients took an extended carriage ride on cobblestone, uh, and, of course, that meant that their bodies was uh, rocking and rolling and shaking all over the place. The tremors reduced and at times disappeared for a while. Why is that? Well, I think that part of it probably is that there was an acknowledgement of the trauma that had been experienced, and it was also accentuating the trauma. So let me explain what I mean by that. Some of the people that I've interviewed, when I ask the question, well, what is it that you can do uh, for yourself to reduce or ameliorate the intensity of your tremors? And what some people immediately will say was, well, you're not going to believe this, but what I do is I make the tremor worse. I just let it rattle and roll and shake, and I don't try to stop or control it whatsoever. I just let it go. And after I do that, after a minute or two, I all of a sudden realize, oh, all of a sudden the tremor begins to settle down. Why is it then that if you're going to vibrate, and there have been some various therapies, they're called vibroacoustic therapies, where you're listening to sounds in conjunction with the whole body being vibrated, why do they tend to have a positive effect? Well, I think the bottom line is that it increases the energy flow through the meridians in the body. It facilitates the flow of energy. It's the same thing that acupuncture does for people. You put the needles in various points in the meridians, and that energy, instead of being blocked, it begins to flow through. And that's going to give you energy. That's going to give you some stamina, some strength. It'll make a big difference. The people that I know were using vibroacoustic therapy all reported that they really felt like it was a big improvement for them, and they would use that therapy every day. Uh, the companies that made that equipment, uh, unfortunately, uh, all went out of business for reasons unknown to me. But uh, the people who used their therapies reported back to me that they were very pleased. Another final question here from David. There are uh, numerous study references uh, that basically talk about pulsed electromagnetic fields, a very low power directed to the skull, yielding a reduction of symptoms. Why haven't these studies been expanded upon? Well, I suspect, David, and this is pure speculation, that I think researchers these days are more interested in exploring the impact of light and sound as therapies, not the magnetic field. It looks like that's the future of medicine, at least that's what I see. And so instead of medical people prescribing these supplements, 
what will happen in the future, and this we may be talking uh, 100 to 2 years from now, what's going to happen is the therapies that we actually receive are going to be light and sound therapies. Now, for example, there have been some pilot studies of a therapy where what they're doing is they're sending focused sound into the substantia nigra uh, at a very specific frequency, and they're finding that if a person gets uh, six or seven or eight of those, uh, they will also see a reduction in symptoms. You'll see that therapy coming out. It may actually replace deep brain stimulation therapy because it's less invasive. I, my guess is in the long run it'll probably be as costly, but that's another example of how sound is something that's being used as researchers as a, a, a therapeutic device that looks like it has wonderful promise. So sound and light, that's where it is at. Now, another comment that I want to make uh, in light of your questions, David, is for people who have tremors in their hand and who are unable to write, there have been several interesting researchers who have invented these writing utensil devices that vibrate. And in essence, the nature of the vibrating instrument is that they can sense if the shake is to the right, the vibrating instrument basically vibrates in the opposite direction. And it can vibrate as quickly or as slowly as the hand is, is basically shaking. So when people write with that, particular type of writing utensil, they're able to write clearly, whereas before, because of the shaking, they could not write clearly. So I thought that's an, a really interesting example of how there is almost an acknowledgement of the tremor. In other words, what you're telling the body is, okay, I acknowledge that you are here, and uh, I can feel you, and basically the body is finally saying, well, great, I'm glad you finally noticed I am here. And, of course, underlying that, remember, when you have tremors, the underlying issue is going to always be trauma from my research. Trauma is really where it's at. Next question comes from Henry uh, Henrietta, and it's following. Dear Robert, Firstly, I would like to thank you for this service as it gives me the feeling that I'm not all on my own dealing with this condition. You are most welcome. Know that you make the difference in people's life. It, is it possible to advise me on the possibility of a cell stem therapy at a Swiss clinic? I was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2017. And other than the morning stiffness and a slight imbalance, I don't experience so far more limitations. I was 50 years old in 2010. So let me continue reading this before I make some comments. At the moment, I do use the usual Parkinson's medications. She lists those. To balance these toxic substances, I take the following. One tablet of Q10 Forte, two spirulina tablets. Spirulina is a wonderful detox for those of you who don't know. It's the least expensive and probably the most effective. A lot of people don't like it because it doesn't taste like sugar, but it's a great detox. One multivitamin, low dosage of B6, B12, C, D. Now, Henrietta, you, you use the letter D. Is that vitamin D3? It needs to be D3, not just vitamin D. 
Vitamin D3 actually has a big influence on balance. And so just check to make sure it's D3. Vitamin E, K, magnesium, great. And there's also wonderful magnesium lotions that can help with stiffness. So if you're stiff in the morning, you can rub some lotion on the places that are stiff, and that will probably loosen up pretty quickly. Zinc and calcium. I happily work full-time. Keeps me going. Live as healthy as I can. Don't smoke. Use a bike for short distances. Swim and walk regularly. Great. You're doing well, you might say, but I'm on my own with this. I've accepted it because there's nothing more I can do than to try to stay positive. I am asking you about the stem cell therapy because of this. Would a five-day treatment slow the disease down? Now, Henrietta, I want to flag the words that you're using here. Your expectation is, if you use any therapy, whether it's stem cell or something else, your expectation is you just want to slow the disease down. Why are you holding that thought? If you're going to accept a therapy and pay money for it, wouldn't your expectation be to basically get well? So that's a limiting thought. You might want to scratch those words and think about what is it that you want to manifest in a positive sense. And you continue, you say, or maybe reduce the symptoms for a while. Again, those are limiting expectations. If you do the therapy, that's all you're going to get. You may pay ten dollars or $20,000 for the therapy, and if that's what you're thinking is going to happen, to reduce the symptoms only for a while, that's exactly what will happen. You continue, so I stay longer independent, or is this therapy at this stage not advisable, if ever? Uh, and here she says, I want to stay independent as long as possible because uh, she's helping her handicapped husband. Uh, and she wants to be able to you know, do all of that herself. So let's go back to the actual symptoms that you are experiencing. You are experiencing stiffness and a slight imbalance. Well, what is the typical cause when there's stiffness in the body? And as it turns out, it's usually a compromised gall bladder. And so one of the possibilities is to get some of these wonderful holistic assessments. I use bioenergetic assessments myself, but naturopaths have a number of different ways to be able to make these assessments. If the gallbladder is perhaps plugged up with toxins, there are ways to clear that out, to cleanse the gallbladder. Stiffness, usually tightness, is due to a gallbladder which is compromised. And so it may be a way to address that is to begin to get some work, some support with a, a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor who can identify whether or not that's the case and to provide you with some some methods of being able to help support your gallbladder's ability to function uh, at normality. So in the end, I would just like to suggest that, uh, Henrietta, it may be what would be most helpful and encouraging for you is to pause and to ask the question, well, what is causing your stiffness and the imbalance that you actually are experiencing? Stem cell therapy really is a, what we would call a symptomatic treatment. You are basically treating the symptoms. And uh, in, 
from my research, from getting back uh, reports of people who have had stem cell therapy, it really kind of does what you're expecting it might do. It may give you a big boost. It may not, but it may give you a boost initially where you really are feeling much better. But in the end, the fact is that the body makes its own stem cells. The body knows how to do that. So in the end, the better question to ask is, all right, why is my body not making stem cells? Or even is that the issue? I suspect, Henrietta, that that's not the issue for you. It's not an issue of stem cells that are deficient. Now, if that's right, if that's true, getting the therapy is not going to give you much advantage. And so you'll spend a lot of money and you're not going to see much uh, result. Now, my first experience with stem cell therapy came from uh, having a, a wonderful medical doctor from Mexico uh, come up to the first Parkinson's Recovery Summit that I convened in Vancouver, and she brought a, a client of hers who had just received the therapy in Mexico. So they came up to the uh, summit, and while her client uh, didn't actually talk, her husband did. And you could see that she was able to stand and walk and function and smile. And, and he basically said it was like getting his wife back, that she was so much better, and they were both very happy with the therapy. Now, that was the short-term result. And I kept in touch with him and with her uh, over the next several years. And after about six months or eight months, uh, her situation began to go south. And she actually died about two years after the summit. And so that led me to believe, oh, my goodness, it sounds like this might give a person a wonderful initial surge of wellness. But in the end, it sounds like it's probably just that. It's probably something that will give you a boost. And if a person needs that, this might be something very advisable. But in the end, it's not a long-term solution, or at least that was the conclusion that I drew from watching the experience with this particular client. Now, uh, the doctor came back up at the next summit that we convened in Cincinnati and gave a presentation, but there were no testimonials, and so I don't have a lot of uh, follow-up evidence. I do know, like any therapy, stem cell therapy for some people really does help. And I also know, Henrietta, that for other people it doesn't. And so there is no therapy out there that I'm aware of that winds up providing the benefits for everyone. It just doesn't exist. So it's something to consider. But what I'm suggesting to you is how about instead of basically chasing after something you'll think will oh, help a little bit, just, just pause and ask yourself, well, wait a minute, what's the actual cause of what it is that I'm actually experiencing? Now, I also want to say, if you'd like to be able to get some support for that, that is what we do in the Jumpstart to Recovery course. So there's the online course that you can sign up with, and there's also the live classes with me. There are eight classes that begin on August the 1st. We go through each class, and the initial emphasis, the focus, is to look at, all right, let me help each of the participants figure out what's causing their symptoms. And once we get a handle on that, then what happens is we identify the therapies that will address that symptom. So instead of sort of figuring this out in a wild, random sense. It's more structured uh, in that you, if you have a therapy that you're going to pursue, you know that therapy is appropriate to address the particular cause that is 
present for you. How do you figure the causes? Well, I invented this uh, this set of wonderful ways that I'm very proud of where the body is really telling us what's out of balance. And so what we teach everybody is how you can basically look at your eyes. The eyes have all sorts of streaks that give you clues of, uh, as to what organs are compromised. You can feel the soft spots in your feet. You can look at your teeth. You can basically check out the meridians. So there are all sorts of fascinating, easy ways. You don't have to actually pay for a medical test at all. And you can get confirmation as to the cause because what you find looking at your eyes will be confirmed when you're looking at your feet or checking out what's going on with your teeth. Everything is confirmed. The body's really amazing in that it conveys all sorts of valuable information to us all the time. And so in the course, we basically go through all those techniques, give ways that you can actually do them yourself. You don't have to go to a practitioner, though you can if you wish and uh, get get a real assessment, get a real fix on what's really going on. I think, my opinion is, that a big, big mistake that most people make who are dedicated to, to reversing symptoms of Parkinson's is they're putting a whole bunch of stuff in their body, uh, whether it's supplements or medicines or you name it. I think the better approach is to get the bad stuff out of the body first, and that's the first secret of the seven secrets to healing in my book, Seven Secrets to, to Healing. Uh, when you, you say to yourself, well, I heard these particular people were using these supplements and they're a whole lot better. Well, they may be, but that doesn't mean that that's going to be the case for you, especially if for you, your issue winds up being a huge, huge presence of something like mercury or something like Roundup. And so everyone's symptoms are caused by a different set of factors. You are unique, and a lot of people have the impression, in, for example, the Jumpstart to Recovery courses, well, it's a rigid program, and you go through step one and then step two and step three. Well, there are particular process of looking at the causes and then looking at the therapies that can address the cause. But the fact is that the solutions for each person are different. And I have to say for all of you who are listening today, that's not, I repeat, that is not where I thought I would wind up with my research. I'm surprised myself. When I started doing research with Parkinson's 12 years ago, I had the idea, I think like you, that I was going to get a really clear handle on, all right, what is this Parkinson's all about? My mother had it, my uncle had it, I've seen it close hand. What is this? And I figured once I understood what it was all about, I, through my research, would be able to identify, let's say, one or two, maybe three therapies that would work the magic for everyone. And then, you know, as a researcher, I would go out and I would say, okay, here's a Roberts program for how uh, you can basically reverse your symptoms. Uh, And I would tell you, step one, step two, step three. Well, as it turned out, that's not possible. It'll never be possible. Now, there are people who advocate certain programs, And it made them well, and I've had many of these people on my radio show. They're marvelous people who tell their story about, here's what I did to heal, and if you want to use my method, I'll sign up, and I'll I'll help you through that. I'll coach you through that. And it may be that their solution will work beautifully for you. That is, that is the answer for you. But it also may be that just because it worked for them doesn't mean that it will work for you because the factors that are causing your symptoms – turn out to be different from the factors that cause their symptoms. Everybody really is very, very different. 
So when you realize, well, toxins are a big issue, there are so, so many toxins out there that you really have to stop and do some thoughtful thinking about, well, what toxins might you be most exposed to and what toxins do you have still contained in your body? You're going to be different from everyone else. There are people who have neurological challenges who basically, through a lot of investigation, realize, oh, wait a minute, uh, there's mold in my house. Oh, my God. Okay, so uh, let me have somebody come out and take a look at it. The person comes out, and the person says, oh, my God, we're going to have to go inside the walls, and you're going to have to move out uh, to another apartment for a month or two for us to clean up your house. They move out, and guess what? In a matter of about a week, their symptoms are basically far, far, far better. It just makes a dramatic difference. So guess what? Mold, would you believe? Other people, they move into a house, and in the house they decide, well, this carpet is pretty old. Let's put in a new carpet. So they put in a big, fancy, thick, very expensive carpet that, by the way, has formaldehyde in it. And all of a sudden their symptoms begin to flare up, and they get very, very sick. And as it turns out, well, what's the cause of their symptoms? Oh, by the way, they also live by a golf course where they're using Roundup. Well, unfortunately for them, if they had moved out of their house, they probably would have gotten well pretty quickly. But instead, they really treasured their carpet. They liked their carpet. They didn't want to move out of their house, so they stayed in there. They actually only lived a couple of years after that. So it could be a carpet that's full of formaldehyde. It could be a house that's full of mold. It could be somebody who's exposed to electromagnetic kind of pollution. And that could come from a cell tower. It could come from an office. Uh, some people are very sensitive to that kind of thing. And so uh, you might be in front of a computer, and that might be a reason why you have uh, so much difficulty with the symptoms. So lots of different factors. Oh, I'll just mention one more. I could go on for another three hours talking about the various potential causes but one potential cause would be smart meters on electrical systems. You'd be amazed at what havoc that can play on some people's neurological systems. So there are many, many different factors. They take many different forms. There are many different sources. Uh, some of them are chemical. Some of them are in this more uh, electromagnetic field. We're getting more and more pollution that's electromagnetic these days, and that's probably the health crisis of this century is it's, it comes from the electromagnetic pollution that we're exposed to. So there are lots of different reasons, and again, in the Jumpstart to Recovery course, what we focus on there is helping each person figure out what the cause is for themselves. So um, be delighted uh, to have you in the actual class. Uh, it starts August the 1st at 12 noon on Tuesday, August the 1st, and we go every week at 12 noon Pacific time for eight consecutive weeks. All the sessions are actually recorded. We've got, by the way, a, uh, a early bird special, $100 off, so it doesn't cost very much to join the course. I would love to have you there. It would be delighted and honored to facilitate your journey to figure out what's causing your symptoms and also therapies that can actually address those symptoms. The difficulty is that for a lot of people, you kind of are just randomly looking at, well, what's helping other people, and thinking that, well, if you do that, will it help you? And a lot of the questions I got is, well, will this help me? And, of course, what I always have to say is I don't know, but if I have some idea of what the cause is, then together we can figure out what might be a therapy that would really address that.
Remember also that when it comes to healing Parkinson's symptoms, a lot of focus for the questions that I get are all on medicines and supplements and sort of the obvious sorts of things. Uh, some of them have to do with, of course, uh, therapies like yoga and exercise, which are also very, very useful. But remember that underlying all of this, underlying all illnesses, winds up being a set of emotional issues that underlie the problem. And so there are certain thoughts, certain feelings, and once you clear those, that's actually the home run when it comes to reversing whatever symptoms you might currently be experiencing. So I see the hour now is already past one. I've got a whole bunch of other questions. I'm never going to finish these. So what I'm going to do is we will schedule another Q&A tomorrow at the same time, 12 noon Pacific time. That will be Wednesday on June the 21st. And I will continue answering the questions that have been submitted. I was, quite frankly, overwhelmed <laughs> by the number of questions that I received and, of course, the complexity of the questions. So being able to actually answer uh, a, a complex a question even submitted by one person takes quite a bit of research and quite a bit of time. So we will connect with each of you uh, tomorrow at 12 noon uh, Pacific time where I'll be reading the additional questions that I've uh, received, and again, providing a seasoned response of, of directions you, mo you might want to consider and discussions you might want to have with your actual doctor. So it's an honor and a privilege. Uh, again, just to repeat, we're doing the second of our Jumpstart to Recovery courses launching on August the 1st. I would be honored to uh, see you in the course. We get to really know each other really well in the course because there are eight sessions, and people sign up from all over the world. We've got the course is about half filled now. It's a very small course. So uh, join us, if you would, before the class fills up. I would um, be honored uh, to facilitate your healing from whatever symptoms you might currently be experiencing. Of course, we have our Parkinson's Recovery Membership. Uh, for those of you who are members, our support group meeting is coming up this Monday. Please join us uh, with your stories of what you've done uh, that has helped reverse your symptoms or what's not helped and I'll be giving, of course, an update on what we've discovered here through Parkinson's Recovery is helping people get well. Uh, and that's through the membership. Uh, it also, by the way, the membership, we have lots of other support services in addition to the actual meeting that we convene, a support group meeting that's positive, that provides everybody with an infusion of, of good ideas for what you can do to reverse symptoms, not just ideas for what you can do to suppress symptoms. So again, I'm Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery. I uh, was a professor for 20 years uh, in a tenure job, and I finally decided I wanted to spend my life in a way that I thought would be more helpful to people, so that's what I'm doing today. And you might have guessed it, but that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound that are absolutely gorgeous on this Tuesday, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this question and answer program, that you indeed are on your own journey down the road to recovery. I look forward to connecting with you tomorrow, Wednesday, June the 21st, same time, same station. I'll be sending out the link.